Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Welcome to an amazing beginning of the week here on Real Presence Live. I'm Matt Wilkham. Sitting across from Father Tim Buren here at the Church of St. Charles Borromeo in St. Charles, Minnesota, southeast Minnesota, Diocese of Winona, Rochester, just past the top of the hour. Thanks for joining us here on The Big Show. And we've got a big show today, don't we, Father Buren? It's an exciting day, even though it's a Monday and people have their opinions on Monday, but I'm certainly excited for this particular Monday for here, Real Presence Live. I'm excited. We've got a couple of uh, great book authors here uh, and, and more, much, much more. Uh, but let's, before we give a preview of that, let's begin, Father Buren, with, uh, as we always do, uh, a prayer. Wherever you are listening from, you join us in this prayer. We always remember that we are in the holy presence of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. God, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us to enlighten our hearts, to open our ears, to allow us to listen and to be nourished by what we hear as you nourish us in the gift of the Eucharist. We ask you to bless this time together. May it be a fruitful time for all of us to glory you in all things. And we make this prayer in the name of Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father Tim Beeren. And I'm Matt Wilkham again, Communications Director for the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. And we are sitting here in the banana belt of Minnesota, the southernmost part, 20 counties that kind of cover the, the southernmost part of the state. But although, Father, it's a bit chilly. I've, I've, I have to confess, I've, I've got wrinkled sweater st- syndrome here this morning because it's like every year I try to delay the fact that I, I, I have to wear a sweater to work. And uh, this is the first day that I, I, I broke down. It's the, it, all, my, all my sweaters are all wrinkled, though. The bittersweet time and when you have to finally find yourself in that particular situation. I uh, noticed also the allergies that are in the air, the particular bittersweet season when we probably pray for that hard freeze so that we can right. get on with our life. I'm not taking medicine every single day. Exactly. Well, we're going to be getting some excellent spiritual medicine here on the show. We've got uh, coming up later on the show, uh, we're going to be talking about Fatima. And uh, the different uh, uh, aspects of, of that private revelation, which had been uh, eventually approved by the church, and what Our Lady uh, asks of us in that and through that devotion. Also, we're going to be talking later on with the new executive director of the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse. Really looking forward to that. But right now, we have on the phone the author of a book entitled Dying to Live, From Agnostic to Baptist to Catholic. Ian Murphy is with us here on Real Presence Live. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Father Buren and Matt. I'm delighted to be a guest on this excellent program. Thank you so much for having me. 
What a great joy to have you, and, and, and in particular for our listeners to be aware of your book. So first, before we dive into that, though, just uh, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure. Well, the best part of myself is my wife, Rachel, and uh, we've uh, been married six years this November, uh, live in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, no kids yet, but uh, looking forward to when God does that. I uh, received a theology degree from Duquesne in Pittsburgh. I've been a professor for most of my career, but right now I'm just a Catholic speaker and writer and, uh, and convert to the Church, as the book title indicates. I like coffee, The Hobbit, and uh, I'm just in very many ways an ordinary guy, a uh, very ordinary guy with a story of God's very extraordinary grace. Well, that extraordinary grace is... Again, we want to go a little bit deeper with you because that truly is a beautiful result of how the Lord has been at work in your life, uh, even really planting those seeds uh, from an early time. So if we can actually go even a little bit further back into your history, what was your faith life like growing up? Oh, sure. I was an agnostic. And uh, I was the type of agnostic is somebody who's not sure if God exists or not. I thought he probably didn't uh, exist. And, uh, you know, there's a couple kinds of agnostics out there. One is the kind that just doesn't care about the issue, the God question, and, and what they're doing here. Then the other kind is the kind who cares very much about the question and is actively seeking an answer. I was that latter kind. It, uh, in fact, it troubled me to no end. I, I realized at least this much everything hinged on the God question. I, if, I, if I have a creator... That, then why did he make me? He he would account for the reason for my very existence. I would need to know who he is and if I'm loved and what the purpose of my life is. And knowing that would be, you know, the centerpiece that everything else would revolve around. Or if I'm just a cosmic accident, because like they told me in my science classes, it was a giant explosion. You accidentally get human life and then the most frightening thought of all for me growing up, when I die, will it just be lights out? And I will have no memory of ever having even existed. And if that case, what is, is there a meaningfulness when I won't even remember ever having existed in the end? You know, do I give an account? Is there right and wrong? Or am I just an accident? And so, I mean, it, it uh, filled me with a great anxiety throughout my childhood. I did grow up in a Christian home, um, so in a sense, you know, I, I, I knew about Jesus. At the same time, I didn't grow up in church because my folks were hippies, you know, very uh, anti-establishment. You know, down with the institution, man. We don't need that organized religion. Me and Jesus will have church in right. the woods. So it's a very Woodstock parents, and they let us make up our own minds. So I, you know, I didn't know what a Bible was. I, I had other than Christmas and Easter, you know, which they would do, you know, for tradition. I, I grew up without church, um, so I knew who Jesus was. But again, uh, my faith was was a very troubled agnostic until I was about fourteen years old. I was I was reading excerpts of Darwin's Origin of Species back when I was eight years old in the second grade. Great, I was a, a, a brainiac and. Uh, was troubled by the existence of God very young. I mean, the fact that Darwin believed in God was of no comfort. If his theory could explain 
that human existence was a mere accident, uh, that's what troubled me. So, I mean, I was seeking very young, and uh, from about 8 years old to 14 years old, that was the central question of my childhood. Was this in a vacuum? Were your parents in the same uh, court, so to speak? Uh, no, my, my parents weren't aware of my agnosticism. That's uh, interesting you should ask. I kind of kept it a secret from them because I knew they were such strong believers in Jesus, and they wanted us to be. But I did turn to my extended relatives, and I opened up to them. I turned to my grandma, my Uncle Tim, my great-auntie Jojo. And I, I tell a funny story in Dying to Live about uh, asking my great-aunt, uh, Jojo, like one of the only Catholics in my family about God, and her kind of flipping out on me in a New Jersey accent with, uh, you, you think that there's all this beautiful stuff and nobody made it? There's the sun and moon and, and the right plants and oceans and seasons, all from a giant explosion? What's your problem? How could you not love God? How could you not? He died for you. How could you not love that? You know, it's just I call it conversion by concussion, and she made it work. But yeah, my extended relatives, they knew about my agnostic crisis, but uh, I did keep it hidden from my mom and dad. And Ian Murphy, the decision to embrace Christ and his love for you uh, seemed to have overflowed. It overflowed to you wanting to tell more and more people about this until an event, it was right at your graduation, which actually made national headlines uh, and which caused quite a quite a stir among your classmates and, and among others. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, the, my agnostic crisis was finally resolved when I asked Jesus into my heart at 14 years old, uh, following a miraculous proof he gave me. I said a very scary prayer. I said, Lord, if you exist, I need to touch the spiritual realm for myself in order to have faith. And you know how they say, hey, be careful what you pray for. You might just get it. He allowed that experience. He allowed me to palpably encounter the spiritual realm in a, a brief but unforgettable instance of spiritual warfare where I was attacked physically by a demon who left at the name of Jesus. And when I was physically released by this invisible entity with intelligence and will who could communicate and try to hurt me, and it, it obeyed the name of Jesus, then I knew he is real, he is risen. And with that dramatic, I mean, when Jesus is real to you, like he is real, but when he's real to you, and you know he's risen, it changes everything, it changes how you live. And all I wanted from that point forward after eighth grade was to share the faith with all my agnostic friends. You know, other people like me were skeptics, just needed some proof. And this sort of unofficial ministry to Doubting Thomases reached a climax my senior year uh, when I was named valedictorian. And, and what broke into that national media blitz you were asking about is, you know, this unofficial apostolate to Doubting Thomases is I was told I had to give the commencement address as valedictorian, and they asked me what I wanted to talk about. I said, I want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> and my secular high school said, well, you're not allowed to do that. This is a secular high school. And I said, yes, I am. This is a free country. Yeah, you know, we have this little thing called the Bill of Rights. Ah, yes. And, uh, <laughs> it protects my freedoms of religion and my freedom of speech. 
uh, and um, and those liberties make our country great. The audience that commence that they're free to disagree with me. These are the liberties that make America a great country. The speech advisor said, yeah, thanks for the history lesson. If you say the name of Jesus at commencement, I'll pull the plug on the PA system myself. I will, I will, I'll pull the plug on the microphone. I will silence that name. And there's just something about the name of Jesus. That is the name that threatens a power in this world. That is the name above all others. And if I had wanted to give a speech about relativism... They wouldn't have cared. I would have received no resistance. But I wanted to talk about the Lord. And boy, does his name solicit a response out of, elicit a response out of people. So, uh, yeah, that's um, when I stood up for that. I called the uh, local papers to see if they would print my speech since I wasn't allowed to give it. And they said, oh, this is a pretty big deal. They're not allowed to do this. And I know. I tried to explain it to them. I said, we've got to send this up the food chain and get a story this hot. Hold for a second. This reporter comes on the line from a larger uh, tri-state area newspaper. And he says, all right, kid, what's your story? Well, they won't let me talk about Jesus at graduation. He said, they what? They can't do that? This is a free country. It's like he tried to muffle the phone, and I hear him yell, we've got a hot one. There you live. Next thing I know, media shows up. It's like it's just like in the movies with the paparazzi, uh, throngs of cameras, flash photography, bulbs and mics in my face at my house and the streets in my school. I would soon find out that not even the men's locker room in the high school gym was a safe place for me to hide out from the throngs of media that were chasing me across the next couple months of a media blitz that did go national. I mean, uh, they've release it to the AP wire and through the Associated Press, uh, the news organizations were following the story from all around the country. Amazing. Uh, Ian, can we hold it right there? Uh, we got to take a quick break, but on the other side, we definitely want to pick up and finish this incredible story where you, you become known as the free speech kid nationally. Yes. It's an amazing <laughs> story. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Real Presence Live. I'm Matt Wilkham along with Father Tim Buren from the Church of St. Charles Borromeo in St. Charles, Minnesota. Ian Murphy, more of this incredible story next here on Real Presence Live. Stay tuned. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. In today's world, we are enslaved to addiction. I'm Father Chris Alar. Alcoholism, pornography, and drug abuse have become the master of millions of lives, maybe even your own. Addiction has led to countless deaths by overdose and suicide. So what can be done about it? Victims often explain they are searching to escape the troubles of this world, or they are trying to find a form of ecstasy. Unfortunately, these enslavers provide neither. The experience is only pseudo, a fleeting imitation of an authentic spiritual experience. 
There's only one true spiritual experience that can provide fulfillment, and when you find it, you will find hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. As a working mother, I was thrilled to learn about the University of Mary's new online Catholic-infused graduate programs that truly work around my schedule. University of Mary knows that choosing to continue your education at this point in life can be both challenging and rewarding. That's why we've created a robust portfolio of truly affordable, truly flexible, and truly formative online programs to make choosing easy. Visit us at catholicprofessional.life. That's dot L-I-F-E. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. 17 minutes past the hour. Real Presence Live. Coming to you from the Church of St. Charles Borromeo here in southeast Minnesota. Matt Wilkham along with Father Tim Buren. We're speaking with Ian Murphy author of Dying to Live, From Agnostic to Baptist to Catholic, currently teaches at Divine Mercy University and is a Catholic writer and speaker. Uh, Off air, Ian, we were just speaking about how you were recently in Minnesota giving a a talk at a parish in the Twin Cities area. Uh, And uh, I would imagine that part of that was telling your story here of uh, when when you became known as the free speech kid. And we we picked up, we, we left off before the break when you talking about all, how, how all the media was swarming when they found out that your secular high school was at first refusing to let you speak about Jesus, to even say the name Jesus uh, at your graduation. It was, you were the valedictorian, uh, and uh, you, were, you were getting some pushback from that. Let's, let's pick the story up there, Ian. Sure, and uh, you know, this uh, media blitz, you know, I, I, the, first, the original headliner that launched it uh, said I uh, had that uh, commencement speech about religion rejected, free speech denied. And this was and, back uh, in 1993, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. It's, um, and there's still, like, not too long ago, I was on a Greyhound bus in California, and the guy sitting next to me recognized me from this <laughs> blitz. And he said, oh, man, I'm a vet. I followed that story start to finish. So, like, it really did get out there. The kid from Pennsylvania is recognized on the opposite end of the continent by a stranger on a bus. I mean, so, I mean, it obviously got out there, um, and not just through the newspapers. People were sending me copies of papers from Texas, Maine, California, Florida. I mean, all four corners of the country were, were following it, but I was also on TV pretty much daily. Um, in fact, one of the local news stations dispatched a helicopter um, to chase my family from Pennsylvania to Michigan when we left for my Uncle Tim's wedding out near Hillsdale College in Michigan. You know, we were literally being sought after by a helicopter news crew. Uh, and, you know, once, you know, I was back in the area, you know, they were interviewing me at my house daily. And one news station changed their opening audio, you know, the news thing. They changed it to the graduation processional pomp and circumstance 
<laughs> as their opening news theme. And my story was like the opener of the news, like what's going on with the free speech? I guess you don't get much more of an American story than a fight over a speech. I mean, it really, even non-Christians were backing the free speech kit. You know, I had the support not just of churches, but veterans organizations. I ended up on live radio and these TV interviews daily. And uh, the American Center for Law and Justice, uh, who's fought against the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, who, despite their name, is an enemy of freedom, um, especially religious freedom. Uh, but the American Center for Law and Justice, who's fought the ACLU before, came to my aid, offering to take my my case pro bono to the Supreme Court if need be. They threatened to get my principal fired. There were agencies picketing to get my principal fired in the parking lot of my high school. <laughs> I was like, please don't. I have a big health <laughs> test tomorrow. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it just it went nuts. And under all the pressure, the school finally backed down and reversed their decision and allowed me to give my speech, assuring me that the plug would not be pulled on the mic. And so it's because they tried to silence the name of Jesus that now tens of thousands of people heard the gospel televised. I mean, it's just God just reversed that and he used it to spread the gospel. But the most exciting of all, one of my classmates accepted Christ as a result of the speech, who was formerly an atheist. So my whole ministry to other doubting Thomases had uh, reached an unprecedented height for the sake of one lost sheep. And if the whole thing was all just for her, well, that would just that would be like our Lord to go out of his way like that for for one precious soul. Such a beautiful example, and, and I was actually going to ask you about that, and so thank you for sharing that. That part of that testimony that really touched the heart of that student and how she is a follower of Christ, and what a beautiful gift it has been. And really, not only just to her, but really, you know, countless others that may have had a transformation and a conversion in their life because of the media. Uh, what a great story and, and what a great uh, a witness that you have become. But, you know, sadly, you know, reading a little bit about your story, even after graduation in the midst of all of that height and everything that was going on and you went on to the university, though, you did have some doubts again, didn't you? Yeah, and of a different sort. Uh, that is a fantastic question. Where my original struggles with doubt were belief-based doubts. I, I doubted God's existence. And then, you know, until that miraculous proof that after, you know, something like that, after you're miraculously rescued from physical, spiritual warfare, you don't doubt that anymore. But I struggled with the belief, uh, not belief uh, faith, but trust faith, where could I trust the Lord? And, and I was, you know, when my mentor at college, a minister, took me under his wing uh, during my undergrad years at, at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, uh, my senior year at, uh, of undergrad, he was murdered. And he was murdered because he was such a public and vocal urban minister. His name was Pastor Sam Brunsall, beautiful man with three little children and a, and a wife. And he was going to Duquesne at the time for, for his graduate degree in theology. Um, Although he was a non-denominational minister, Duquesne was a Catholic college, and he was very high church, very sacramental, and was teaching me 
all kinds of exciting things about the Catholic Church helped me convert in the end. But uh, yeah, my senior year, he was shot in the head and killed. Mm-hmm. And when when the reality of martyrdom was in my face like that, I mean, the, the first century martyrs were a big part of my apologetic proof that that helped me bolster my newfound faith. You know, and when I was a teenager, uh, because. Well, these first-century martyrs—Peter, James, Paul—you know—they died not just for beliefs they were convinced of, but they died for eyewitness accounts. I mean, they were eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus, and people don't suffer and die like they did for something they know never really happened. I mean, they died as eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and so I found that very persuasive. That well, they knew the resurrection was real. And so that could help me know it was real. You know, they weren't just convinced it happened, they saw it happen. That's what Peter says. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. These aren't fables. But now martyrdom was in my face. And that sh- now I wanted, can I trust Jesus? What if, what if they're after me? I was just hired as Sam Brunswald's intern. Like, does that put me in danger? And, you know, they, you know, they say if you, you know, Find your life, you'll lose it, and if you lose your life, you'll find it, you know, Jesus said. Well, I got scared and under fear, I became paralyzed, and um, tried to seek my own life, my own safety, take care of myself instead of trust the Lord with my life. And in doing that, I lost my life. I went backsliding into several years that are a blur of a backslidden nonsense, and uh, and after that, I realized I, I missed Jesus, and he wasn't waiting something a club in his hand. He he was waiting with a hug, and, and when I finally realized, I didn't just love him for his blessings; I loved him for himself. You know, it wasn't just you know serving Jesus is great when it means fan mail and fame and you know high quality babes interested in you, you know, at 18 years old, getting famous. You know, serving Jesus is is everything, and there's a cross. And he introduced me to his cross, and I realized I don't just love his blessings, I love him, and I miss him. And when I came back, it was like the prodigal son, the Heavenly Father, leaps off the porch, catches me in his arms, says, don't you do that to me. Don't you do that. And other people out there, if they're... uh, if, if they're far away, just come on home because he's waiting with a hug. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the deepening of faith can be a, a difficult thing for all of us, but it's something that the, the Lord calls each of us to to go deeper. And uh, I just have a couple minutes left here, Ian Murphy. Uh, and I, one thing that I want to go back to real quick is is that seed that helped your faith grow deeper that was planted back when you were a senior in high school by, I believe it was your uncle, who was a Catholic. That's right. And a book by the name of Rome Sweet Home. Just about a minute here. Can you tell us about that? What impact that had on your life? Happy to. During the media blitz, uh, my my uncle, who was the first Catholic convert in my family, handed me a copy of Rome Sweet Home by Kimberly and Scott Hahn. And at the time, I said, I'm going to tear this book to shreds. (laughs) <laughs> Little did I know that its author, Dr. Scott Hahn, would write the foreword to my own book about converting to the Catholic Church. Can't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah, across uh, the next 10 years after I was first handed that book, 
Scott and others helped answer all my theological questions, and then the book regales the story of how, um, in another moment of stubbornness, God kept sending me people who I went to to talk me out of converting, <laughs> who were already, who had already just converted to the faith. I went to three different people who were either already converts themselves or or were convinced the Catholic Church was true, and so uh, you can read about that in the book. My website uh, is drianmurphy.com. I want to thank our listeners today for hearing my story a little bit, and if they were to go to drianmurphy.com, they can follow my ministry, and if uh, they want a copy of the book, it's available there, and I can even sign it for them. So thanks to our listeners today. I appreciate their time. Amazing story. Ian Murphy, thank you for regaling us with uh, all of these stories and your 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 faith witness uh, in the midst of good times and, and not so good times and, and mm. helping us, uh, those of us who maybe also need to go deeper with Jesus, not to be afraid to, to do so, even if there's a, a cost attached to it, uh, knowing that uh, it will give our life even that much more meaning. So thank you, Ian, Ian Murphy, for being with us on Real Presence Live. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Father Beeren and Matt, so much. I appreciate you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless. Well, up next, have you heard about the secrets of Fatima? Have you wondered what they are? Be sure to join our next conversation on Real Presence Live. Stay tuned. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.